Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. All right. Jen, I really appreciate your time. This is the third time we've actually spoken. I didn't realize, but we did an interview by phone. And then one of the best moments on the Jim Fannin show, I, I think, was having the kids Aww. and you and the three-piece into the studio. And I'll give you the date. It was August 10th, 2014. I think you were uh, camping out at a friend's place in Port Dalhousie. You brought the kids in. The station was closed, and they had the run of the place and literally ran the place. Um, and just a great – I had them in the booth. Uh, wasn't sure of Maceo's name, mispronounced it, and Van corrected me immediately with a little <laughs> little bit of attitude. Maceo, not Maceo. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So yeah, yeah I what remember a... it well. That was really fun. Yeah, beautiful moment. So, uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since. I hear that you've been in studio. That excites me. I didn't know that you'd never produced a studio album with the three piece, but uh, uh, Stefan Crump and Jamie Foxx uh, accompanying you. How did that go? And uh, when's it going to be out, more importantly? Sure. Um, it has been so much has happened since we were in your studio in 2014. Um, and I mean, just to, there's lots to talk about, but just to respond to the immediate question, um, we've been making a Canadian trip, um, primarily to, uh, the Atlantic Canada, going to New Brunswick and Nova Scotia every August as a trio plus kids, as you mentioned, um, my husband, um, We've been collaborating for years with him um, being really a fundamental ingredient in my songs on acoustic bass, Stefan Crump. And then our friend Jamie Fox is a wonderful guitarist. And um, we've been doing this trip along with Stefan and I have two boys who are now 13 and 9. Wow. Um, you can do the math of what they were when we last met. But... Um, so we, we do this trip every August. It's like a combination family vacation with friend and music tour. And we go up to our destination is Nova Scotia, where we play a few concerts and a festival. And so this year we are this past summer, we decided, you know, while the band is warmed up, while we have a little bit of space and we can be in this sort of special environment away from the distractions of New York City, um, which is where we're based in Brooklyn. Let's uh, let's record our album up in Nova Scotia. And we knew about a very, um, uh, a studio that's just uh, oozing charisma, um, or I guess character is the more <laughs> accurate word. Um, so we, yeah, we recorded uh, August 21st to 23rd, I believe, 2018. Um, and then came back to New York and I had to switch gears to my day job, <clears throat> which I've actually started um, only in 2016 as a, um, a full-time high school history teacher. So um, <laughs> that, that started in September and then just around the edges, I was able to finish some of the, I mean, the music part didn't need much work because it was very much like um 
capturing moments in the studio. But we sort of had to pick between various takes and do some of that work, you know, late nights, weekends, after I've been doing my lesson plans and so on. And, um, And so the album is, you know, currently being manufactured. Um, I did a whole pledge music campaign, um, you know, like Kickstarter or Indiegogo or, you know, crowdfunding, where I had, um, you know, engaging my supporters to, um, you know, to pre-order. And that, you know, helps finance, not just finance the production of the record, but also just engage people in the process and also let you know, okay, how many people want to hear this thing? How many should I end up making? Cause in this, you know, I, as much like press as I've had, you know, I've been on national TV, I've done um, all kinds of radio and, you know, uh, print media and had all these, you know, great reviews. It's really about the word of mouth <laughs> and it's really about those intimate relationships that you make over time. Um, and sometimes those intimate relationships are at least relationships, you know, uh, take hold over the digital realm in this crazy time we're in. So, yeah, so I did a whole crowdfunding. People were pre-ordering. Um, giving me back and forth feedback, you know, even up to before the recording where I was still writing some new songs uh, through the July and leading into early August. And um, yeah, so I'm not sure exactly like how much, I mean, I know it'll be available through my website and iTunes and um, I guess that evil beast Amazon, but um I'm not sure how much, you know, I'll do like a big official release. I haven't really decided because that, that kind of ends up being, you know, in the in the indie music world, it's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> so we'll see. But it'll certainly be available to people. First, I'm sending it out to the people who pledged. And then I'll deal with the next layer. Awesome. Now, did you say you're teaching high school? <laughs> I am. Um, what came you know, over the, you? What was the idea behind that? <laughs> well, I've always been, I mean, even as a songwriter and performer, I always have that impulse to, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not the, I mean, I love history. I love, um, the, the questions, like I always, when we're talking about what's going on in the world, like I always, gonna, you know, I always, my mind wants to go to, well, what happened before? What, how did we get here? And it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a distinctively American impulse <laughs> to look at the past and, yeah, and, and look at root causes of things and to deal with complexity. But I've always had that impulse. And even, you know, as a songwriter, I think sometimes those ideas that exchange, which I see as so fundamental to the democratic um, dialogue and the whole uh, concept of our people engaged in the decisions made on their behalf. um, I see it as history being a basic understanding as being sort of a requisite to that. But, um, I always, and I've, you know, over the years I'd be performing and somebody would tell me they were a teacher and I'd say, oh, you're my hero. Someday I'm going to do that in my next life. And I did when I first moved to New York City. I was actually 
a music teacher um, at a private school for a few years before my touring schedule made that difficult. But when it all comes down to it, you know, I was looking at the numbers, looking at the bank statements, and it was like, oh, having two freelance musicians in the house has run its course. (laughs) And, um, you know, my husband is a full-time touring bassist and composer, and he, um, you know, he he does excellent work. He's very well-regarded. And, um, and I've been well regarded as well, but my music has so much been akin to a small business where it's like, you make money, you invest it back. You're spending money on publicity, on paying the band, on studio time and all these things. I haven't been so much hired out for my musical services. So like, I'm not like making that clean income as a, I don't know if clean is the word, but I think, you know, it's always been about investing back in the business and that's been, you know, it's super challenging and, um, and our kids are a little bit older, so they're not as requiring of the kind of childcare, which makes a teacher's salary kind of a joke. So, um, so yeah, I went back to school, got my master's in education and took a bunch of graduate history courses as well and now i am certified in teaching in new york city public schools what are the lessons like what do you what do you like to hit on what's your favorite subjects um, well i've done a few different things over the years um because i've 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 been sort of like in my initial entry you know, then I had a few temporary jobs, you know, somebody is out for the semester or they just got a surgery or things like that. Um, and also, you know, just what does the department need? You have to be a little bit jack of all trades. So um, I've taught about American history through the lens of um, music. That was sort of my dream path, my dream uh, curriculum. Um you know, uh, I've, I've done a curriculum called History of Black Music, where it's like how much you actually learn about America in the, um, you know, 18th, 19th, 20th centuries through um, the music that has come through this amazing mix of cultures that um, through violence and oppression somehow has created a lot of beauty and resilience. Um, I've taught economics. Um, and looked at issues like scarcity and um, even topics like the refugee crisis um, through an economic lens, Um, the economics of recycling, the economics of, um, you know, different things and uh, looking at investment and how, you know, what of different uh, world religions, what of their scriptural um, takes been on, um, interest, you know, it's like, wow, it's interesting that all of the world religions have some, some holy texts that say you shouldn't loan money at interest, yet our entire financial system is based on it. Um, I've taught government, um, I've gotten into the U.S. Constitution, um, the Second Amendment, uh, you know, kids writing essays for and against repeal of our um, very strangely worded um, uh, constitutional right to bear arms. Um, 
Uh, and then this year I'm doing global history, um, looking at some of the classical civilizations in China and India and Greece and Rome, um, the, the three Abrahamic faiths, um, how much uh, they're emerging, you know, which in this political uh, realm, people are just so people who claim to be religious being so basely ignorant about religion. Mm. Um, you know, I had, we were, we were looking at the foundations of Islam and, um, and the life of Muhammad and the teachings and the Quran, um, you know, as a historical matter, because you, you have to know if you're studying history, you have to know about, um, you know, and now we're starting to look at the crusades and, and, um, and Christianity's impact in medieval Europe. But, you know, at one point there was an article in the New York Times where they were talking about how much um, is how much of the political uh, dialogue or uh, dialogue, not the word, political rhetoric, um, particularly on, well, pretty much exclusively on the right side, the right wing side of things saying, oh, Islam is not a religion, um, it's a political ideology, it's a guise to, um, to implement world domination, um, it's not really a, a belief system. So, you know, my ninth grade students, 14-year-olds, having spent, you know, some time studying the, the fundamental premises of Christianity, Islam, and Judaism and their historical origins, then, you know, challenging them, okay, guys, write a paragraph explaining, here's the definition of a religion, here's the definition of a political ideology. They need help, your help in understanding that Islam is indeed a belief system, a religion, it's not uh, politics. It has, like all religions, there's been lots of political ins and outs over the centuries. But anyway, so those are all kinds of things. Wow. Lots, uh, lots to talk about. Yeah, especially the religious aspect. I think in every holy book, there's so many sim similarities that stories are almost identical. Like almost every major religion had a flood, you know. <laughs> um, right, but, uh, right. And, and, you know, weird ideas of virginity come up a lot <laughs> um or f female sexuality um but uh yeah and so many beautiful poetic ideas about love and hospitality and and generosity and universal brotherhood and then just terrific violence and and anger you know come across in all these so you know that's something that you end up you know, trying to impress upon the kids. It's like all these people have been horrible. All of us have yeah, been well, great, sure. you know, yeah. and here we have, you know, Buddhists in, in Myanmar, you know, the religion most renowned for its teachings of peace and serenity, you know, undertaking a genocide. Mm -hmm. So um, it's uh, we're all the same. We're all the same. We just dress up in different ways. Uh, for sure. Now, I would I would ascertain that uh, you know the foundation of Western society was built on a Judeo Christian type of uh, religious uh, foundation, um, and I also w would uh, think that the teaching of world history and 
specifically the genocides and, and the uh, man's propensity to kill off whatever doesn't look like him uh, and coupled with world religion do you think if that was focused on a little bit more in in school especially the world religions that we would you know become a little bit more tolerant if we knew uh, essentially you know a little bit more about the Quran or, or you know the the holy book of uh, any religion I mean what are your thoughts on, on yeah giving? well the human impulse still has you know prejudices against against strangers and and biases towards sticking to our own type but I think yeah if there is more awareness more education people are going to be less easily um, preyed upon by demagogues um, and less inclined to follow. So people are still going to have those impulses. It's whether those impulses are played out on a, on a wide scale by opportunistic politicians. Um, but, you know, and going back to the Judeo-Christian thing, certainly, yeah, uh, Europe, the West, Judeo-Christian, all that. But also pre-Judeo-Christian, Greek and Roman, and um, and also to the degree to which the achievements of the Greeks and the Romans were preserved by the Muslim world um, in, you know, during the Dark Ages when Europe was barely able to, you know, hold itself um, from, you know, complete uh stone age you know that that in the east you had um a lot of the achievements not only being advanced where we had the arabic numeral system emerging out of iraq where we had um uh, medical science the scientific method um so many things that in those times when europe was in chaos were um not only the Greek and Roman achievements being preserved and built upon, but you had new advances that our society is also based on. So yes, that that knowledge, I don't um, is is important. <laughs> mm -hmm, certainly, and you, you uh, touched on briefly, you know, the strange political times. I I, I kind of think like every era, uh, every we've always said oh this is a strange time because progress happens and you know it's foreign, yeah, yeah. foreign to us so I, i'm not sure that we're any different than any other age that's ever been on the planet but it certainly seems more polarized now i mean especially in the states well it's not much different in canada uh the right and the left in my opinion well when i first started to do the deep, deep dive on this my my feeling on it was is that the right and left were further apart than they've ever been and um i also look at it almost like men and women the same thing they seem to be at each other's throats and the more research i've done on why i've come to believe that it's not actually we're not actually further apart it's just the extremes seem to have more of a voice now and the moderate middle that's in in the fat part of the bell curve of the distribution is sitting there shaking our heads wondering why these idiots on the right and the left won't shut the hell up and it's almost like we're being convinced that these extremists have become the majority when actually it's the reverse the opposite uh, the opposite is true the moderate middle is the majority we're just silent so what's your take on on the or the apparent division on 
between the left and right and men and women these days? Do you see it the same way, um, or do you think it's actually that bad? I don't know about the polarization thing because, you know, on the one hand, the right, left, the, the, at least in the States, and I would suspect to some degree in Canada, the center has been moving to the right. I mean, if you look at economic policies, if you look at a certain acceptance of what is the social safety net, if you look at hmm. um, uh, militarism, and I, I love President Obama, but a lot of the substance of his policies were not that different from Nixon. Right. Because we all... Nixon, Nixon was coming from where the status quo was more to the left. So he was having to move rightward from that. Obama was having to move leftward, barely, mm. from a status quo that is quo that had moved considerably rightward through the 80s and 90s. So, um, you know, the, to my mind, like, you know, I'm, I'm of the left. I always have been. I was raised that way. But I also, as somebody who is interested in history, you know, you look at where has there been progress that is now universally across right and left embraced. Um, investment in infrastructure, um, investment in education, access to education being um, a universally accepted value. Um having people being cared for in their retirement, having um, the government invest in science to the degree where you have um, development, say, science and technology, where you have something like the internet, which the seed money comes where? From the government. Having government being seen as an important place where we invest in our future that is something that has been consistently uh, pushed by the left over the opposition of the right. So I can't help but say now, you know, there are certain things that, you know, the right accepts or even, you know, racial progress, you know, like like the right no longer can can explicitly say, you know, President Trump ex- ex- accepted But, you know, everybody loves Martin Luther King. Everybody loved Martin Luther King was looked at by the right wing, by the conservatives, as a communist, you know, uh, dangerous man. Mm -hmm. Now everybody loves him. So everything that the the left has, um, has put forward has been accepted by the the right eventually. As being and not just you know acceptable but necessary for the most part, um, and you know and and then when people rail against government intervention in the economy, we still even in our supposedly left wing New York City have um, the government deciding to give handouts of a billion dollars to Amazon, mm. you know tax breaks. We still have subsidies going to oil companies. We still have massive um, tax breaks and government handouts going to corporations um, across right and left, you know, because the center has moved to the right. Interesting. Um, so, 
you know, if you look at the actual facts, you know, we're all repeating this stuff. Oh, we're polarized, this and that. But, um, you know, what do people actually want? They want what the left has put forward. <laughs> um, but the thing is, the, the reality is complex. And, sure. you know, and I'm speaking out as a partisan, the left wing, the Democrats, the whatever, the liberals tend to acknowledge and embrace complexity and sometimes speak in terms that um, the average, overwhelmed, struggling to survive person does not find compelling. Mm. Whereas if you look at Trump phenomenon, he is unabashed about speaking three, four, five words at a time and repeating them to whatever extent they're outright lies, mm. you know, um, you know, I was just watching a clip last night, you know, all through his campaign, I am the law and order president. I am law and order, mm. law and order. So people hear that, they're like, oh, okay, law and order. Hillary Clinton just went on like a five paragraph discourse about the intricacies of criminal justice reform. And um, I'm going to go with the guy who says law and order, even if his entire so-called business career has been based on subverting the law mm. and it, his entire cabinet and administration has been about bending the corners of the spirit, if not the actual letter of the law. So that's my take. <laughs> and, and you touched on Obama and, and similar to Obama, I think when the, our lefty prime minister came in, Justin Trudeau. I, I'm traditionally oh, Justin, a Justin, he's a little, he's a little uh, neoliberal. Yeah, and, you know, I, I've tended to be a lefty as well. I mean, my first election was 1993 for the Green Parties and I for the Green Party in Niagara Center here, and I ran probably you know, eight or nine, maybe ten times as a Green, in addition to some municipal campaigns and and all that kind of stuff, and, and only because. You know, I thought it was important for us to have the conversation. Nobody really knew what a carbon tax was, you know, in 93 or, uh, you know, how to how to tax uh, pollution. Which is a market-based, yeah. um, you know, moderate solution that was, that was forwarded by conservative or moderate organizations. And now somehow it's seen as some lefty thing. Well, and it's a certain amount of wealth redistribution as well, but it comes from the taxes sure. of, you know, people that are doing harmful things to the environment. So, you know, I, I went down that road and all my beliefs meshed with the left for a long time. And I've gone through, you know, I'm kind of a, a loyal guy by nature. You know, I'm loyal to my Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I just loyal, ah. loyalty is one of my things. It runs deep with me. And I didn't realize that, you know, now I just turned 50 years old. Uh, I, and for the last few years, I've been open to listening to the conservative pundits and talk show hosts like Crowder and Shapiro and and crying out loud, I've done a deep dive on Jordan Peterson's work. I'm fascinated by the big five personality types. And I think that explains a whole lot of why we we have such different takes on politics and and sex and things like that and uh so for many years i've been really adjusting to the fact that i'm not 24 years old anymore i don't 
believe everything that I used to believe. And I didn't realize it would be so painful coming off of my old beliefs that in some cases weren't well debated or researched. I just fell in line with the left-wing talking points. But what's really gotten me lately is the idea that words are violence and that you can't say that here. And that if you criticize the Muslim faith in Canada, it, it's actually against the law and you can be taken before the human rights tribunal and convicted with very little evidence or, ju or jurisprudence and so you know as a as a lefty socially and as a righty cons uh, fiscally i've had this huge swing that's been painful to come off of what i used to believe but everything for me seems to hinge on freedom of speech so what are your thoughts on on your traditional lefty views and, and how they may have changed or not with, uh, you know, our struggle with you can't say that here. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter banned a, a girl in uh, Megan Murphy in, uh, in Vancouver for tweeting that men are men and women are women and men can't become women no matter what the hormone level of their, uh, in, uh, their uh supplements or their sex change i mean like i know twitter's a business they can do whatever they like but it just seems like you know the right is being shut down by the left saying no you can't say those things here and for me the fundamental cornerstone of democracy is being able to say what you think and that's how we learn because if if you say what you think and it's it's incorrect you'll be corrected right quickly and you'll learn from it and probably don't say those things anymore but that's how we that's how we think is with words and speech. So I wonder if you've got any concerns with, you know, the freedom of speech in, in the States. Uh, well, there's a number of things you said. You said you're a fiscal conservative, which, again, in my partisan view is who's been fiscally conservative, who's been concerned about balancing budgets, who's been leaving the, at least the American government in more prone to a surplus than um, deficit the the left, so the the right no longer has any any claim historically, factually, rhetorically. Sure, they'll say I'm a fiscal conservative, but there is like since the 1980s, they have not. You look consistently in the United States, maybe in Canada, it's different. Fiscal conservatism, or at least fiscal responsibility, has been owned by the left. Um, as far as freedom of speech, um, I think that it's a fun thing for people to speak about in simple terms. Um, I'm certainly, I'm, it's not something I'm concerned about because I think that it's, it's been hysteria and these kind of extreme examples that have been, um, and people profiling also like college students and so on. Oh, these college students all got up in arms and they wouldn't let this person speak. It's like, they're college students, dudes. Like, what? this is what they do. This is their job. They're adolescents. You know, like in, in many cases, like technically they are adolescents. So, Stop looking at this as a microcosm of society. It's like, you know, I reread uh, re, 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 re Lord of the Flies as some um, allegory, which is what the author intended of society, that we're in a, a, a lock or a Hobbesian world. It's like 
Well, those are also prepubescent boys, <laughs> you know. So, so what they they're yes and no uh, as far as illuminating what's going on in society. But I think when it when it comes, I mean, I think all these things are anecdotal that get amplified into hysteria, like oh my gosh, you can't say what you want. But um, I, I, it's not something that I feel is. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm not worried about us not having freedom of speech. I'm, ha- I'm worried about um, actual, you know, as uh, the journalist Bob Woodward spoke to, like an actual assault on truth. Mm. But, you know, so often what people are saying as examples of like, oh, this person um, wasn't allowed to say this offensive thing. It's like, well... Yeah, um, we should have a real debate about whether people should be allowed to say things on whichever private or public platforms. But let's also look at the fact that that was a lie, what that person said, you know, what that what that Twitter thing you just quoted, that seems to be to be not factual, and just intentionally inflammatory for whatever commercial or personal reasons that that person made. So, you know, for instance, in my the high school where I teach, there was a student who over the summer, and it just came out in the fall, had made a private Instagram post that was extremely, I didn't see it, but a few posts that were anti-Semitic, racist, um, misogynist, violent, and generally terrifying, um, with a a disclaimer attached saying I'm not a racist. I don't believe these things. I'm just, I'm just saying it to make fun of people who believe these things. Um, but my school had, which maybe some people would get upset about had a zero tolerance. They said, these, these things are not acceptable. You can't say these things, but they didn't kick him out. What we've done. And it was extremely labor intensive, but I think it is, kind of what needs to happen on the mass scale is we had restorative circles with the student with um i mean he had a suspension he had some disciplinary action but then it was just a series of circles where people spoke about the actual tangible harm that was caused by seeing these posts teachers talking about that they were actually scared to come to school um, friends of the students saying that they felt betrayed um, and having a candid intimate conversation about what what are what are the implications of these words so hard to implement labor intensive but instead of just shutting down you can't say things it's like yeah you can't say them and let's talk about why Let's talk about how words have consequences. Let's talk about the actual facts and history that that make these words inflammatory. Let's talk about, yeah, you don't want to be inconvenienced by being told that your words are unacceptable. Let's look at the history of how words like what you've said have led to genocide. So um, I'm sorry that you're inconvenienced and you feel censored, but historically, what you have just said echoes actual death. Um, You know, people are so up in arms about trans, about, you know, gay rights, the gay agenda, about 
people's um, right to um, have their identity and their presentation um, be coherent with how they conceive of themselves. And you, you have to ask, like, the people who are up in arms against this, is this really a problem for you? Are you really so inconvenienced by somebody who has a visible Adam's ample apple wearing a dress and a wig? Like, is this really a problem for you? Because mm. if you look at the facts, if you look at sexual predation, if you look at um, any kind of uh, measure of social health, um, as far as societally, you're not going to find anything that tells you that these people that you're targeting are a problem for you. Are these people more inclined to be murdered on the streets, gay and trans people? Are you know people identify as queer? Are these people more inclined to be hungry? Um, are these people more inclined to be victimized? Yeah. But are they more inclined to cause a problem for you? No. So calm the fuck down, you know? It's like, so, yeah, say what you need to say, but let's put it in a little context. Like, this is not a problem for you, so stop acting like it is. Stop acting like your marriage is is somehow, like, uh, you know, degraded, if that's a word, degraded, I guess is the word, by somebody else's same-sex marriage. So, and yeah, you could tell I get a little annoyed. Yeah, and the passion more than leaks out, and I, I share that <laughs> same passion. In the uh, profanity. For music and for politics, and, you know, I started saying, you know, the Obama administration, I just, I was filled with such hope. You know, here's here's a new day. At the same time, I was like, wait a second. Are the states more sexist than they are racist? Because, you know, I predicted that, you know, Trump would win type of thing. And here we have a black president before we have a woman president. But anyways, going back to this idea of hope of this Democrat coming into office, it's a new day. We've got a black president in Canada. It was I was filled with the same hope. Here comes a young uh, you know, son of a former prime minister, whether you like him or not. He's certainly not his father's son. He's very different in many ways. But, you know, even with this whole parody of gender-based cabinet positions, you know, I, in the beginning I was like, okay, this I can get behind this. But it seems like the system, and you, you spoke, I think you alluded to it a little bit about your hope for Obama, and then the machine gets a hold of them, and somehow they're towing the same line that every other president has big business subsidies to big oil uh not really putting people first and 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 social programs first and no no and no i wouldn't i mean it's a matter of degree it's just and i wouldn't say i i, I think to me you're presenting too much of a dichotomy oh so hopeful oh so disappointed oh this is going to be a new era and it's like i've never been on that Thing. And and if you look at what has what was done, I mean, I'm not so detailed about Trudeau, but um, but my impression is, yeah, I'll take like 90 percent of what he's doing over Stephen Harper. Um, yeah, it's not these people. We 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 don't want kings, but yet we want 
the people that we'd like to be able to do things without compromise. Um, you know, there's, there's a balance of powers. There are, um, there's a private economy. There is, you know, we're still in um, capitalist societies where businesses, you know, are allowed a, a large degree of discretion um, in how they run things. And we are not inclined to regulate them to the degree that they should be. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, you, if you look at the actual structures of government, none of this is that surprising. And there is, you know, on the, on the left, there's always an impulse to be like, look at where the other side is, has a good point. It's like, oh, well, yeah, it's true. We, we don't want businesses to be too constricted from meeting the, um, the demands of their shareholders. We don't want, you know, to totally hamper free enterprise. So, you know, and sometimes the, there's, maybe too much credit given to the other side. And that is, I think, the liberal impulse to take all things into account and, um, and also not want to be extreme, you know, right. unless you're like extreme left, unless you're Stalin, <laughs> you know, but that's not what anybody's ever aspired to. So right. I don't, I, I mean, I'm just, doing it more in terms of a clear eye but did did the stuff the stuff that most people didn't even pay attention to as far as what obama administration forwarded is that like incredibly powerful and important and did it move us forward yes um you know and the impulses like the 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 handouts to the auto industry mm. like you know that that was absolutely crucial in rescuing our economy from freefall um you know the the environmental um progress as far as again with the auto industry um, raising fuel economy standards, you know, absolutely crucial. Um, what about the banks? What about the banks? Well, well that, yeah, to that, that again, it goes back to the earlier point. Nobody wants to, you know, everybody wants to listen to them and say, I mean, partly because of their success in creating, making their world so incredibly complex that most of us have no idea what they're talking about. Okay. We'll trust you and do what you say. But, um, yeah, people could, I think, rightly say that the failure to really crack down on financial fraud and their casino mentality and their um, dominance and monopolization, uh, yeah, that would have been nice to have come out of the Democratic administration. Wow, I didn't. Uh, our conversations, we've never had a long form conversation like this that wasn't interrupted by, uh, you know, commercials every nine minutes. So I appreciate your takes on all of this, but, uh, and we can get back to it. But I, I really like to spend some time on the music. I don't want to keep you all <laughs> day you. here. So we could, we could debate politics until we're blue in the face. And I'm not sure that anything would be solved by it. But I really appreciate your take on it. It's an interesting take. And I, I wonder. Uh, I know that you're you're active with uh, some uh, foundations in the states. There, uh, Why Hunger is one of them. Uh, but before we touch on that, um, it, does your music have a history of activism 
based writing or style or performance or anything like that or is is do you try to remove or do you see yourself completely removed from it i know some of your songs are are certainly pointed at things like hunger and issues like that but uh, is a majority of your music based in real life and politics absolutely um but i i want to make things that have a certain resonance beyond the um immediate moment and I always try and take a step back. You know, my speaking here also as a reflection of the times we're in, but I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll be more explicit about my um, horror at the Trump administration than I would put in a song. In a song, I'm more inclined to sort of take a step back and also look at where, why, how we're all um, party to this. You know, what is it about us? that that is attracted up us as a species that is attracted to the five word phrase and oversimplified idea um what is it about us that you know that the structure of our economy and the um demands of modern life Keep us from being able to fulfill our obligations as citizens um, to be informed, to understand that public policy is complicated. You know, I've written, you know, I have a song that I wrote many years ago called Passive People, which is about that. You know, we are passive people, but it's a song of empathy. It's like we're passive because we're too busy trying to survive. Um, on my new album, which is called Desert or Sea, which I, I wrote it, the song Desert or Sea, the title track, is um, it, it's kind of an intimate family song, like thinking about what's the future decisions you're going to make as a family unit, um, where you're going to be, what you're going to do. But in making it the title track um, now, it, it, I realized that the title also speaks to climate change, you know, because that's what we're looking at. You know, the world being either flooded in some areas or, um, become, you know, just desertification in other areas. It's this, um, you know, this increasing um, dichotomy. Um, I have a song called Secret, which was sort of unofficially commissioned by the pastor of a small Presbyterian or no, I guess congregational church in New England um, writing to me poignantly because his teenage daughter was realizing that she is queer and feeling an existential threat coming from our government. And he said, can you write a song to make her feel better? <laughs> so I wrote a song called secret which you know ultimately i don't know if it did anything for this teenager but it made me feel at least that i had a channel for my rage which i just expressed it's like in the refrain of that song is we won't turn back um the secrets out forever it's like people's existence is real and um and it's not your problem and stop pretending that it is um, so yeah, there's, and I have a, I have a new song, you know, some of these debates, which are, they're 
ancient debates about, you know, does someone really love our country? What does it mean to be a patriot? But I have a song called Drinking Song, which um, sort of meditates on the notion of patriotism in the context of some of our contemporary debates about whether you have to go through the rituals of standing for the anthem, you know, and this goes back to this whole simplicity thing. Yeah, call it a polarization of right or left. I would call it a polarization between intellectually, um, I mean, well, intellectually, people find that a threatening word, um, an idea, a dialogue of what patriotism means versus empty rituals of, you know, wave the flag, wear the T-shirt, put the hand on heart versus actual service to a country and its values, which calls for constant reinvigoration through inquiry, through public policy, through um, active engagement. So, um, you know, the Our National Anthem, uh, Star Spangled Banner, had its origins, at the, you know, it was written by a slave owner um, who the melody of it came from an old British drinking song. Um, so I have a song called Drinking Song, which is kind of talking about these these things which I just spoke about, wow. of what, it, what does it mean to be a patriot and, and how historically... In our country, you look, if you do a poll on patriotism um, and optimism and belief in American values, they're typically the people who are most patriotic are been the people who have most had to struggle to be accepted in the full citizenship. Any hope before we move on from politics? We could get stuck on this. Any hope for the current administration that we come out of this better on the other side of on anything? Uh, I think it's pretty awesome how women. You said earlier, women and men not getting along. Um, I don't see that. I don't see it in those terms. But um, the the degree to which women are after we're talking about millennia we're talking about all of human society um women just saying no no uh uh that that to me is exciting and i i do feel that the uh cat is out of the bag and i don't i don't feel like um i don't feel like it's going to go back to the same kind of, oh, well, that's just the way things are. Right. There does seem to be a, like, okay, that's been the way things are, but it's not going to, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to, it's not going to be just blindly accepted. So out of this, a certain amount of progress has been uh, attained for, for women and other groups, would you say? I don't know that the progress has been attained, um, but the um, people are just not, they're not sitting back anymore. Right. So to whatever degree that's, but, um, you know, we certainly are getting closer towards actual representation in uh, our Congress. Interesting. I think I think we're at twenty four percent, whereas it used to be more like uh, uh, under twenty. 
mm-hmm. and um, and now it's you know people are saying well it should be 50 I don't think like, you know, having women in charge, I feel like it's condescending to say, oh, we wouldn't have any war if, you know, women, it's like, no, but but we want representation of people who understand different perspectives. That's just common sense. For sure. So uh, with a really rough segue, how many songs are you going to have on the new album? Are they all original music? Oh, good question. There are 10 songs, um, and they are all my own, except for one is, um, it's from 1990, by the um, the late, great... um, Lesser known, I guess not in the the most famous tier of jazz singers of the golden age, but um, very well respected Abby Lincoln, a song called The World is Falling Down, which we recorded for the album. But the rest of them are mine. So, you know, I've mentioned the title. The title is Desert or Sea, and that's one of the songs. there's a drinking song I mentioned, which actually most of the songs or all of the songs have all been written um, by me, words and music, aside from the Abby Lincoln song. But drinking song actually was a real collaboration with my guitarist, Jamie Fox, where the guitar part, the, um, you know, I wrote the melody and the words, but the actual musical, we were going back and forth trading musical ideas and so that's a real collaboration um there is secret which i mentioned which speaks to human rights particularly for people whose sexual or gender identity has been um devalued marginalized um what are some others a song called home which is kind of a love song about, um, you know, f- making your home where you are, collaborating, solving problems as a couple. Um, there is, what else is on here? There's an old song, which we might have even played in the studio, or maybe not, but um, a song called Gold, which is something we've done forever in our live performances and it's a real jam out kind of song right so and there's a i think the last song i mean drinking song was very up to the wire as far as the studio and the tour in the summer but there's another new song called gentleness which um i actually wrote for my younger son just uh celebrating his personality what are the kids up to? Tell us a little bit about what they're interested in these days. They, well, they don't have um, a shortage of personality, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Maceo, being 13, he's away on a, um, he's actually on a sleepover. It was an overnight trip to New Jersey with a bunch of friends and um, a, a friend's dad who um, took took a crew to um, a birthday uh, sleepover party um, to uh, another house. So he's off with his friends. 
Um, he plays guitar really? under duress. Um, yeah, he's actually a really good guitar player, but he complains every minute of it. He hasn't really, he hasn't found the bug outside of our coercion. Okay. Um, and then Van is is uh, more enthusiastic, though still complaining and procrastinating. Um, great piano player. He really? works pretty pretty hard and digs in. And um, and you know, this morning he loves projects and being enlisted this morning i got him to help me um we made uh clips for breakfast what's that and um like great well i don't oh. know what's the canadian at crepes i'm okay. giving it the french clap um you know <laughs> yeah yeah okay skinny, gotcha. skinny pancakes that you roll <laughs> stuffing inside yeah. um so we made the batter and uh put them on the pan and the butter and so on and um, yesterday he was helping me also uh, do some some of the stuff. I'm I'm mailing out. I don't have the CDs yet, but um, people who were supporting the album Desert or Sea also, you know, um, bought, ordered um, some of my previous releases because this is the first trio album. But right, I've I've um, I have like. I don't know. I for depending on how you count, um, like eight, eight or nine previous recordings. Right. So reckoning, some of think... some of them people were um, were buying is as part of. Is it the reckoning I got from you on uh, vinyl? Was that the one I got on vinyl? The reckoning? I think it's a picture. Reckoning. Of... Yeah, that's, that's my latest one, which came out know. 2014. Yeah, yeah. No, a great album. It sounds great on the vinyl too. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the new stuff coming out. And Into the Mystic, one of my favorite Van Morrison. Well, one of my favorite tunes yeah. of all time. Just it's, it's nice to see that blowing up on YouTube. Ten years old, coming up on uh, 400,000 views. So that's that's something that's really popped for you for sure, eh? Yeah, it's, well, I didn't monetize it because it's not my song. Maybe right. I should have, like, uh, wiggled around the, the copyright there. But um, but we did. Somebody saw it there and um, reached out to us about licensing it for a TV show. And it did show up. Our version of Into the Mystic did show up in... Um, uh, it was on the Sci-Fi channel. It was a science fiction show called Defiance. Okay. That had aliens and such on such things. Um, so that and that was a nice little, you know, made a few few bucks from that uh, that we split with Van Morrison and uh, he approved. Wow. Or his, his lawyer his lawyers approved of the song being used. Amazing. So um, yeah, so we keep on doing it. I think you'll like um, it's it's different and it's not Van Morrison. But the Abby Lincoln song, I think you'll you'll appreciate that because it's yes, it it it's a great it's a great song. It's, it was it was really fun to put our put our take on it. Well, I haven't heard anything that didn't blow me away so far. I mean, your, your ah, presence on stage you. is just uh, amazing, and you know, I, I I often leave the interview without. Uh, failing to impress upon my guests you know how important music is to so many people and that it really in case nobody has acknowledged you for this lately 
it gets us through some really strange and sometimes really broken times where we, we we're struggling to find ourselves or we're just beat down and i mean i don't need to tell you this you've found your own solace probably in other people's work as far as you know being addicted to a certain album or a certain song and i use addictive with finger quotes obviously but you know it's become yeah, the, yeah. the soundtrack of our lives and just so important to getting over and getting through and, and and making it okay or or helping us with you know depression or sorrow or whatever it is we're fighting so you know you're uh no exception when it comes to that and your music has played an important role i just brought out the vinyl again about a week ago and just uh you know when you when you obsess about a cd or an album over and over and over and over for months then then it's time to put it away for a little while and then when you bring it yeah. out again it's like an old love it's like an old memory that you're like wow i forgot how much i really enjoyed this and then, <laughs> and then it triggers all those memories of the time that you used it as a crutch to get through life you know so thank you for your your music it's been a, a, such a gift to me for one and oh, probably more than you know, a gift for many, many people. I don't know if you're into reading YouTube comments, but uh, there's got to be a whole lot of them that say just basically thank you for the gift, you know, so thank uh, you. Well, thank you, Jim, and, um, and um, I can't wait to send you the new one, and hopefully it it has uh, it serves, serves its purpose <laughs> for you. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to hearing it again, and maybe we'll splice uh, some songs. If it's okay, uh I know it hasn't been released yet, but do, would you mind if it gets spliced into the video of the interview? Oh no, uh, okay. I'd be I'd be honored. Yeah. Okay. And sure. is any of it video content, or is it all audio? Um, it's I haven't made any videos okay. yet. Okay. Um, that pesky uh, teaching job oh, getting yes. in the way. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I'll 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 uh. At some point, at some point, it'll happen. Yeah, There'll and be uh, some, well, uh, noth nothing beats bringing Van and Maceo in t for uh, go away with the pillow fight on the bed with all oh, the laundry. Yeah. No, I'm very, <laughs> I, I'm very proud of myself for that idea. Yeah, no, it was, that like, was, it awesome. was like, oh, how can we make this all come alive? And then we played that whole song, which was, you know, not very, not done very often on uh, AM terrestrial radio. Um, but in listening to the old show, which is on podcast, I think a little, we've got some clips on YouTube as well, but mostly on podcast, we played that whole song coming back and, and, and another, uh, gift, but I always, I always send that, um, video out as an example of, Oh, you don't know, you've never heard Jen Chapin, Harry Chapin's daughter. We didn't even touch on that. Uh, <laughs> well, you check out this video and it's just, it's such a fun video with the kids tossing stuffed animals at you and just the the lyrics of the song you know you you know <laughs> you just you just go away how many times have we, you know we wanted that for a loved one <laughs> you know? yeah yeah anyway. that is uh that is it um cool so yeah so i'll send you some mp3s and um and feel free to share in your artful way and um and I'll I'll help spread the word. You know I'll let uh, I'll have 
I'm not going to, as I said, I'm not sure when I'm going to like really officially release um, the album. Okay. Um, I want to, I'm going to focus on my immediate supporters, but I'll include your community of listeners in the first line. So I'm, I'm, I should have it like Christmas Eve. Um, so I'll even, if people want to PayPal me, you know, I, I had a whole system through pledgemusic.com through the crowdfunding as far, as far as pre-orders, but, um, you know, my email is Jen at jenchapin.com. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll send some out for people who are dying to hear it. Oh yeah. That's awesome. And I guess it wouldn't be right if we didn't touch on why hunger just before we, I let you go. Like I said, I don't want to keep you there. You've been so generous, very generous with your time uh, throughout the years, uh, with me. So I appreciate that, but, uh, it wouldn't be right if we didn't touch on, uh, why hunger and the work that you're doing down there with that organization. Yeah, well, given that I have these two full-time jobs of of teaching and and music, um, you know, I have I've been a less active than historically. At one point I was the chair of the board of directors and it was a big part of my volunteer life. But um the organization has as uh so much developed over the decades. Um we would love to be out of existence, but um, our the the strength of our work really comes from um, our fact-based recognition that the most promising, the most sustainable solutions to hunger and poverty come from the grassroots. And so we're a grassroots support organization that helps um, community organizations around the U.S., in Canada, um, and around the world build alliances, build capacity, um, go beyond just sort of providing handouts to actually fomenting social change and amplifying the voices of people who are poor and hungry. In our country, there's still this fundamental ignorance that people choose to be poor or that they're lazy and uh, a refusal again, on the right to do basic arithmetic of what salaries, the average salary actually entails um, when held against the cost of living. Um, You have just real, like, lack of curiosity, lack of empathy of what it's like to pay the bills. Um, And most people in our country, and I'm sure in your country as well, who are taking... um, making use of emergency food um, from soup kitchens, food pantries, they are work from working families. So either they or somebody in their household is working as much as they can. And, you know, we have this thing where people are put into part-time work so that they're less eligible for benefits. Um, and people put in the servants economy where they don't know their schedules until a few days in advance and they're scrambling for childcare. They're taking care of elderly parents. They're trying to decide between um, paying for prescription medications and paying for um, school supplies for their kids, um, let alone rent and, and food. So it just comes down to like that we've just accepted that people could be working part-time, full-time and not be able to support themselves in a way that 40 years ago was not reality. And so, you know, I always say that the basic 
um, answer to hunger is wages. <laughs> you know that that and like just people just aren't paid enough for honest labor. And you know everything's put in like, well, look at this person. They went from being a janitor to being a CEO. It's like, well, you know what? We still need janitors. Janet, uh, being a janitor is an honest job that should be compensated. You know, it's not all about moving on. It's about, um, you know, honoring dignified work that is required in our society. And we still, like, devalue, say, home health care aides, people who take care of our elderly, people who take care of the handicapped, are, like, living in poverty. People who provide, who work in restaurants, who, who harvest the fields, um, people who work in food industries are most likely to be hungry, most likely to be poor. The irony on that is just lost on the wider population. Um, and so it's, it's really just having the voices of people who are struggling be out there and, and helping um, build capacity of, of organizations where people are helping themselves advocating for themselves, um, making changes to government policy because they know what needs to happen. So that's what Why Hunger is about. And especially we're um, really strong on promoting agroecology where you're taking some um, modern technology and scientific um, progress when it comes to agriculture and you're using that to synergize with traditional family farm-based practices, which, you know, decades of research has shown is actually much more um, effective in not only higher yields but of production, but in keeping people in sustainable, dignified lifestyles um, in agriculture. You know, we have this well-financed lie that super high-tech, super mechanized um, monoculture farming, GMOs and such, are, are the, the future and are required for feeding the world. And that's not actually borne out by the evidence. And, you know, when people ask about GMOs, you know, I point out it's not so much about, oh, GMOs cause cancer. That may be the case. We don't really have definitive scientific evidence. And, of course, there's a vast variety of genetically modified um, foods. And, and people have been breeding food, um, you know, crossbreeding, coming up with new varieties. I mean, for, for millennia, I mean, corn is is been was the the indigenous Mexicans and Guatemalans are who created it as our as a food staple um, back in the day, but um, it's really about when corporations try and take away farmer knowledge, sterilize seeds to put people into this cycle of having to get pesticides and get you know certain certain uh, varietals which may not be what is best for their farm. They just get sort of forced into it by the power of these mega corporations. So that's where GMOs, it's when you're taking away ownership of food 
from people and putting it in the hands of multinational corporations when why hunger always takes the stance that food is a human right and i think most people agree with us jen chapin i really appreciate your time i love you for the generosity that you've showed the show and thanks for the time again today just on the way out maybe you could uh let us know how we can get a hold of you how we can support your new album maybe throw you a couple bucks get on the list for the new cd Sure. And, uh, well, the the campaign for um, pre-order was um, successful and funded at 124 um, percent. But and I and I can't that website through pledgemusic.com is closed. Okay. But um, as I said, I mean, people could just shoot me an email. I'll post something on your thread. Okay. Um, you know, I'll do the you know as far as especially uh, shipping from Canada, which has unfortunately gotten a little bit burdensome, but um, or shipping to Canada. But if people want to get a hold of the record, they will certainly, your special group of listeners should certainly be able to get it. So I'll, I'll share that information. Um, I'm going to try and grade some essays first. Um, and uh, I guess because I always procrastinate it. Should we um, shout and out? And you know, by tonight I'll I'll share that. Should we shout out the high school? Would the kids enjoy that if you were uh, if you promote? Show what up. <laughs> yeah, sometimes kids are like, "Oh, I you found a interview? video of you on YouTube." <laughs> you didn't shout out like, the school or you taught? What what's the matter with you? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you have to the the kids. Um, it's about them. It's not about me and my uh, my little career yeah, on the yeah, side. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, so I'll we'll be in touch. All right, I appreciate your time. Be well. Give my best to Stefan and Jamie and the two kids. Uh, well, they're not so much kids anymore. Thirteen and nine. They're no, nine they're and, they're definitely still kids. Nine and five. They're just I not. Mean, they're not babies. Yeah. Well, I was just uh, listening to uh, the the show on the podcast when Van was correcting my pronunciation of Maceo. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, he was militant about it, and I loved it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I have uh, nothing but good memories of them running around the studio. Well, more than the studio. They had the whole main floor of the station there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. Good stuff. Yeah, I know. It was a good time. So I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll touch you up, hopefully, uh, maybe in the new year after the album's out and uh, – We'll take it in a few other directions that we failed to touch on today. But uh, I know it's Sunday and it's family day. For me, it's football. And uh, nice. my Eagles don't play till 8 o'clock tonight, but uh, scrapping for their playoff lives. But uh, So I appreciate your time on family day and uh, give my best to the crew and uh, hope to talk to you soon. So, Thank you. All right. We'll talk Bye, soon. Jim. Bye. Jen Chapin. Wow, that was great. I'm just going to sign off here. Uh, maybe we've already done that. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for the comments. Uh, check her out on YouTube. Uh, you can do that. Um, her website. Um, and they will, uh, her Facebook group, they can link you to all the causes that she's involved with. The new album's coming out. She said she would have her hands on it uh, Christmas Eve, so we hope to get that in your hands if you're looking for it. I know she's done a few gigs. She played in the in the alley behind um port mansion port uh murphy's she played on the murphy's patio which is out back in hogan's alley there uh wow and they packed the place um she did play uh 
a gig at Mate Cafe, who I should uh, thank Chris Lowe. Chris Lowe's for actually lending her to me before that gig. He, he was perfectly fine with me picking her up before her performance at Mate. So she came into the studio with the with the kids, the whole family, Jamie Foxx and her husband Stefan and and Maceo and Van, which was which was a, one of one of the greatest experiences for me, just having the kids running around and doing the interview after they played uh, a bunch of tunes and played Go Away in Hole. Uh, and then uh, this magical performance at a church, I think, uh, it, well, it was in Niagara Falls. I can't remember exactly the church that it was, but you, you see a lot of uh, videos of uh, Jen Chapin doing uh, gigs at churches online. And uh, I didn't tell her this on, on in the interview that you guys saw, but she's got this tremendous following on Instagram. She's not even on Instagram, but <laughs> she's got a... A great following of people that have been hashtagging Jen Chapin for years and putting little clips of her performances and uh, pictures of her up there. So uh, I'm looking forward to. She's going to send me some email. Email me a, a few of her tunes, which we'll probably splice in. This is uh, going out right now to the Facebook audience, obviously. And then uh, we've got a, a tighter shot with a little bit better mic'd version of this that will be available on YouTube. Um, you can catch us on YouTube, the Jim Fannin Show on Facebook. We're uh, just starting to work the Instagram angle. I've never hardly spent much time on it, but uh, actually it's been paying off quite nicely for people that have followed us. Uh, thank you very much. And then uh, we're on all the iTunes or the podcast network, Stitcher, FM, dot whatever it is on most of those platforms so uh you can find this a few days well usually i get it up the same day so we'll have this up on youtube probably today once i get jen's music we're going to splice some music into in between maybe some of the conversation and uh appreciate your time so it's sunday now at one thirty-five. i guess we had jen for just over an hour um uh, thanks again to Ch Jen Chapin for her generosity for with the time. Uh, she's always, always been such a great conversation. And today, wow, did we get deep into politics? And uh, wow, she's got uh, an impressive take on on just about everything. So, Why Hunger is uh, one of the organizations she's involved with. Amazed to find out that she went back to school, got her master's, and is now teaching high school. I think I failed to get the. Uh, actual name but she's in brooklyn new york the daughter of the legend harry chapin um from cats in the cradle and taxi and uh and she's uh she's really come a long way in making her own legendary music and uh, uh yeah so check her out online and facebook and uh youtube and we will be in touch soon peace out